Hello, this is Grant Parpan. What you are about to hear is our editorial board endorsement interviews with the candidates for Southhold Town Board this year. The first candidate you will hear from is Republican nominee Anthony Sanino, followed by Democrat Brian Mealy, Republican Greg Williams, and Democrat Greg Dorosky. The interview was conducted by Town Hall reporter Brianne Letta, as well as the editors who weigh in on the editorial endorsements, executive editor Steve Wick, editor Joe Workmeister, and myself, content director Grant Parpan. This interview was recorded on Thursday, October 14th, and we hope you'll listen to it before heading out to the polls and voting in this year's town election. Thanks for listening. All right, great. Uh, so Anthony Sanino, um, uh, I've got a strong desire to contribute at this point in my uh professional career, uh, I've got time. Uh, I don't know that I could have done this uh, a few years ago, and I'm not sure what the future is going to hold. But at this point in my life, uh, I feel like it's time to give back to the community. So uh, that would be the strongest reason why I'm here. Hi, I'm Brian Mealy, and I'm a candidate on the Democratic side for town council. I just want to thank the Suffolk Times for this opportunity to talk to listeners and the viewers and the readers of the Suffolk Times and people of our community. But what's important about what they think the issues are. And that's something I've been blessed to be on the campaign trail to listen to the issues. And I hope to talk about them. And I hope my long service and public service as a twice elected school board member and twice elected BOCES member will be what is needed for South Hole Town Council. Thank you. Good afternoon. My name is Greg Williams. I'm running for South Hole Town Council. Again, I'd like to thank the Suffolk Times for hosting this event. Um, growing up in town, I've always... Uh, had a strong love of Southville Town, love of the water, love of Peconic Bay. And uh, after meeting a young girl actually in this building, uh, I met my wife. She worked for the Suffolk Times. I came in to pay a bill, and we got married 18 months later. That was 24 years ago. Did uh, actually pay the bill? No. <laughs> the, um, it was, uh, my brother called me on the way to work says, hey, can you, uh, I, I put an ad for a car for sale. Can you stop in? It's 12 bucks. Yeah, sure. I, I paid for He got to sell the car, and I got blessed with a family. Um, but when I was young and others were, were always, you know, expressing I can't wait to get out of town and, and start their lives, I always looked around and said, i got to figure out how to stay here. And it was a struggle. I did. And through my community involvement, I have been involved in scouting, coaching kids' sports, uh, Knights of Columbus. I, I do work with uh, CAST, Maureen's Haven. I really feel a strong connection to the town, and it's more about the – it's more than the, than, the, than the bay and the farms. It's about the people. It's about the community. And I have the skill set. I have the knowledge base. I have the communication skills to help guide this town moving forward. So I'm Greg Dorowski running for town council. On the Democratic Working Families and Libertarian Party line as a write-in. I was uh, born and raised in Mattituck, and my wife Liz and I are blessed to be raising our daughters here, just as we'd always dreamed. I uh, graduated from college with a degree in philosophy. I helped found, build, and manage a successful brewery business. Currently, I'm the Innovations Director at Greenport Harbor Brewery. Two years ago, I ran for supervisor and came within 117 votes of what I feel uh, of being put in the opportunity to uh, restore leadership to South Old Town. You know, sadly, most of the issues we campaigned on last time are more urgent today. The absence of vision, planning, and leadership, 
lack of transparency and accountability. This administration still hasn't implemented the comprehensive plan. They still haven't taken, you know, implemented sensible house size restrictions. They still haven't taken action to protect and improve our water quality or address the looming threat of climate change, which really is kind of the biggest existential threat before us. And it's not just this administration. Sadly, I, I feel it's my opponents too. Um, at our Matatuck Laurel Civic Association discuss, discussion, uh, Mr. Sonino, uh, as you guys covered in the paper, um, you know, said he wasn't even familiar with the comprehensive plan. You know, Mr. Williams said he was against house size restrictions. He, uh, you know, his solution for, uh, for traffic was not driving to Riverhead on Columbus Day weekend. So I think we need to restore some leadership in South Old Town and really take these issues head on. You know, we're at a pivotal time in our history. Um, the big money is here. The big projects are in the works, you know, as we talked about uh, before this started. Uh, you know, it's a hotel project. It's multiple hotel projects that people are talking about and other big development stuff. You know, once this community is gone, it's gone. So we'll go back to you, Anthony. Um, and again, people can jump in anytime they want. But development, obviously, is an enormous issue here. And it has been for generations here. Um, Southhold has always been fortunate enough to have really great farmland. The farmland preservation program that the county initiated when John Klein was um, was the county executive has saved thousands of acres. And there's many categories within development we'll talk about, but in terms of just having a vision if you're elected, what do you think or what do you want this town to look like in a few years? What do you want it to be in a few years? Simply, I, I agree with you that you know there's been a, a great effort to preserve uh, farmland. Uh, South Old Town has already preserved over 10,000 acres from what I understand, uh, but I don't think that's enough. Um, it's easy to preserve the land, uh, but I, I feel strongly that it should remain in agriculture. So farmers are going to be faced with a decision coming, um, coming soon, I think, that they're going to weigh out where their value is. Should I sell to a developer or should I sell to the town uh, to gain some money to restore my, my ag operation? So for me, it's the next generation. If that farmer cannot sustain his next generation with agriculture, uh, I think that decision is going to be real easy. You know, let's sell to a developer. Uh, I was brought up uh, in Huntington Town where I witnessed it. You know, I grew up with farmland surrounding my, my development. It was like the first development back in the early 70s. And I watched development after development um, pop up and, and agriculture be destroyed. Uh, ironically, I moved to another town, um, Brookhaven Town in Manorville, and it looked like the ditto. This is where I was married, had a couple of kids, and, and sure enough, I purchased and built in a very small subdivision that used to be a farm, and then surrounding me, they all started to disappear. Uh, and then uh, here we are in South Old Town. Um, I feel like we're an extremely strong agricultural community, and I think We've got to take every effort uh, necessary to incentivize farmers to keep farming. It's not just about land preservation. It's actually about uh, the agriculture itself. Um, agriculture will preserve and protect our groundwater. There are many, many things, as, as we discussed today, you will see that uh, preserving farmland will help in many, many ways. Uh, a lot of the issues that we're going to probably discuss today, but... Uh, this is, this is where my strength is, and 
Uh, I want to bring uh, ideas to incentivize the farmers to remain here in agriculture in South Old Town. If elected, what, what, what is your vision for what this town should be, can be? What, what does the future look like? And, um, and the future seems like it's arriving in a hurry. No, that's a very good question, Steve. And I'm glad that the Democratic Party, is particularly the slate, has taken the opportunity to talk to the community about what their concerns are. And what I've heard back is that folks are concerned about the environment, folks are concerned about housing, and folks are concerned about maintaining the quality of life. And as Greg Dorosky uh, mentioned, the comprehensive plan, we need a plan to go forward to develop and have smart growth. And although the comprehensive plan was passed, it really has not been activated. So as your town council person, I would review the comprehensive plan to make sure it's still accurate and make sure it is a proper roadmap for smart growth and make sure that we continually have that discussion with our community stakeholders like the civics who are often the motivators in terms of reminding us what the important issues are. As Greg also said about development, Every hamlet and every village is under attack of overdevelopment, and we need to use the comprehensive plan to reevaluate what our goals are going for the future, and we have to have a smart plan that includes all stakeholders, not just the town council, not just the trustees, but our whole community that is concerned about the current development way. And again, as Greg Dorosky mentioned, I am also concerned about the outside funding sources. And I'm glad that the Democratic Party also, money is a necessary evil in terms of elections, but the Republican Party has three times as much foreign investment to the campaign than the Democrats have. And that's concerning to me. And that's concerning with how does that play out with the issues that are affecting South Hill Town? How, who are we going to be beholden to with the money that's coming from outside? So I'm, I'm more concerned with the concerns of South Holders that are concerned about the future. And I want them to know I'm going to fight and advocate for the best of all South Holders, not just a certain party, everybody who's a South Holder. I want to fight for everybody. Three, two or three years, five years down the road, you're on the town board. What do you hope this town will be by then? Not, not to interrupt. Yeah. We, I think we have to distinguish between the two Gregs. The two Gregs, yeah. Listen to this on audio. So. This, this will be Greg Williams speaking. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to have a solid understanding of your history and where you've been to move forward. The town is growing. I hear people say we need affordable housing. I also say, I hear people saying we don't want development. Pick one, because those two are against each other. The town is going to grow, just like everything grows. You know, the families grow, you add on a room to your three-bedroom house, now it's a four-bedroom house because you had an extra kid. And, and growth is a natural possession, a natural procession. And we need to manage that growth. That is the goal. Um, hopefully we can add some affordable housing in our downtown centers. We can keep working hard to preserve more farmland and agri agricultural and scenic vistas as you know we have done. Um, I want to further that work. Uh, one of the things I would like to explore is using CPF, Community Preservation Fund money, to start looking at smaller lots within communities. Many times you go through a community and you, you know, there was a wooded lot there and all of a sudden you're like, wow, they're, they're putting a house on that lot. Uh, I've said this many times that all of the desirable lots have been developed. Hold on. Now all of the undesirable lots are going to be developed. 
So if there's a possibility to work with, with willing property sellers to use community preservation funds to, to buy those lots and strip them of their building rights to make sure we maintain rural uh, characters in, in communities. It's all about quality of life. And, you know, I hear a number of people are concerned about traffic. As we grow, we get more traffic. Um, the business community, I've had this business in town for 26 years. I've worked at it since 1991. It was a much different business 30 years ago than it is today. And we have more year-round residents. Most of these waterfront homes used to be summer, unheated summer bungalows. They came in when the kids got out of school and they left Labor Day. Sometimes, if we were lucky, they came out on Columbus Day weekend. That's no longer the case. They're all year-round heated residents that they may not live there full-time, but they definitely come out in the winter months, which adds to our off-season traffic. Uh, we need to implore the county and the state to look at traffic upgrades. The main artery through town is Route 25, which is a state road. The town has no authority. We can't do a whole lot to change the traffic flow or the traffic pattern without support from the state or the state allowing us to do so. So we need to, again, where do I see the future of the town? I want to maintain our quality of life. We are going to grow. We have to work with the members of the community try and get a consensus of what everybody, you know, where, where it has to go, where it needs to be. Um, you know, we don't want to see development, but we don't want our kids to have to move. So we have to look for affordable housing opportunities in areas where it can happen. So this is not easy work. Mm -hmm. And you need someone who has a, the knowledge to know when to be proactive or reactive, um, you know, because, we have a fiscal budget that we have to work within. And, and it's nice to have pie-in-the-skies idea to create a utopian society, but who's going to pay for it? At the end of the day, we're beholden to the taxpayers, and, and we want to make sure that we're doing the right job for them as well. None of these answers are easy. I want to try and make sure moving forward that we maintain the, the quality of life that we have in this community. Uh, I want to try and protect the scenic vistas. I want to make sure we keep improving the water quality in Peconic Bay. So we can all begin, you know, all continue to enjoy it for many years and many generations to come. And that's where I'm at. So the future has arrived, or it's yeah. certainly arriving in a hurry. Yeah. What are your thoughts on where the next, the next three or four years are going to be? Yeah. No, we're we really are at a pivotal time uh, in in the history of South Old Town, and uh, it's not just the pressures of the the pandemic that have, that have pushed people out here. Um, and pushed, you know, the, the bigger money out here. These trends have been going on, you know, for a while. And, uh, you know, they've certainly accelerated uh, over the past, you know, 18 months or so. Um, you know, I think Mr. Sanino's right that there is an important agricultural heritage to this area that we really need to preserve. I think there's a, a maritime heritage that we need to preserve. And this, um, you know, as I've been out there in the community talking to, uh, to some of our neighbors, you know, just last night we were talking to a bayman um, who was talking about the problems of water quality in South Old Town. Um, you know, the scallop harvest used to always kind of ebb and flow a little bit, but to have repeat dieouts, you know, and pr pretty much wipe it out, um, we need to be doing more to protect our water quality. And, you know, I 
I live on Deep Hole Drive and I watch the rain flow down New Suffolk Avenue from the farm fields into the creek. Creek gets silted and, uh, you know, moves, moves right out into the bay. And it's not just the silt, it's the nitrogen. It's, it's, you know, all the chemicals that are, that are washing down. So, you know, it's agriculture, it's maritime heritage, and it's a certain smallness to things. You know, growing up here, you know, one of the unique things about this is, you know, you go into, you know, local hardware store and you know a bunch of people there and people know you by name and, you know, you put it on your parents' charge account and, uh, you know, get what you need and, and get it done. I do think all of this is at risk. Um, and I think it goes directly to a lack of leadership that's been exercised uh, by the supervisor and the town board uh, over at least the past decade. You know, this is where I think the comprehensive plan is just so, so important. And it's, it's really, you know, it's a travesty that it took 10 years to adopt, you know, strangely enough, during the last election cycle. But it's still sitting on the shelf, not implemented. So one of the first things I'll do as, you know, a, a council person is fight to get that implemented. And implementation, we need to put together a uh, implementation committee. You know, I remember being out in Pocatuck Hall. Um, I think it was... Uh, it was actually during the, the, the uh, comprehensive plan rollout and, uh, you know, the planning director from Marin County got up and offered to sit on a comprehensive plan implementation committee. And you could really see that idea developing in the crowd. And it went in one ear and out the other ear of the town. And, you know, without a plan, you know, we're just we're dealing with with all of these issues on an ad hoc basis. And we can't do that, you know whether it's a hotel that people are fighting against or trying to get through, you know, without a plan, you know, we're kind of left, as a town, we're left without the tools we need, you know, primarily zoning to defend ourselves and preserve what makes this place so special, you know, and that, that's, that's kind of the, the travesty here. You know, the reason that people are coming here is because, it is one of the most special places in the world, and we really run the risk of destroying that because we don't have a plan. Um, so we need to put together a plan. We need to implement that plan. And then we need to do the hard work of updating the code. You know, I, people have been joking around, kind of quibbing back and forth that we need the, you know, the code, the code's outdated, needs to be updated. And we hear people saying this, saying this, saying this. And it's not getting done. And it's, yes, the town board ha has updated some chapters, but we need to do an overhaul. Um, and this is where I think one of the most important things that we do as we implement the comprehensive plan is do a comprehensive build-out analysis of South Old Town and, you know, figure out exactly where these high-risk parcels are with the high zoning, um, what kind of other, you know, build-out capacity exists on uh, parcels that are already built, and then talk about, you know, what kind of uses we want on these, these sorts of things. Kind of the same way we've started to do with house size, you know, far too late in my opinion. You know, the civic associations have been talking about house size restrictions for what, seven, eight years? And the town board just started talking about it at the end of the last election. We sit here two years later, they're still talking about it. And yeah, we're getting closer. But you drive through any of our hamlets and there's huge homes 
that don't fit the character of our community. Again, we don't have the tools to defend ourselves, so we need to look at residential zoning, we need to look at commercial zoning, and we need to, 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 to work on getting this stuff implemented. It's gonna be hard. You know, we need to bring all of the stakeholders together. You know, farmers, fishermen, uh, business owners, the public, and really kind of hammer this stuff out. You know, we're, we're running out of time. You know, I really see this election is as our final chance to get it right. You know, I, I, I'm really fearful. You know, we're talking about a big hotel and event space now. You know, th there's two or three other ones they're talking about, and there's other huge development projects. You know, some of this stuff could be built before the next election. And I feel like they're kind of coming in faster sequence. And, you know, as soon as, you know, the outside money sees someone successfully execute, you know, a, a, a big development out here, it's just going to attract more and more. Um, so I really do think it's kind of now or never. Can I ask a question? Sure. So, uh, Greg Dorosky, you're saying that the comprehensive plan um, needs implementation, but it has been adopted. And from what I understand now, you you know you, you made an accusation that I'm not familiar with the plan. Uh, personally, I wasn't familiar with the question that was posed to me because it was very specific, asking about a zoning code uh, in relation to the comprehensive plan. But if if you've done your research, we have hundreds of zoning codes. And the comprehensive plan is 13 chapters, so it's extensive. Mm -hmm. So when you say you want to implement the plan, the plan is designed to be a document that we follow. It's created now. It has been adopted. Uh, and it's supposed to pose as an ease for uh, different committees uh, and boards to follow so that we don't have to tear down entire codes. We can pick and choose when there's an issue. So if you can answer for me, what, what do you mean specifically by implementing when it, or it, it is already adopted and it is a tool that can be used at this moment? And, and from what I understand, it's available. I think the house size discussion is a perfect example of where it's not really implemented right now. You know, we're still talking about it, and this is just one issue. That's, you know, a, code, that's a code change. Are you going to let me I, finish? I, I could, yeah. Okay. Because this is a really, really important issue, and I'm, I'm happy that you've taken the time to research about the comprehensive plan since our last discussion. No, I, w I was very familiar with it. I actually sat in on meetings for the comprehensive plan, never saw you there. So That's untrue, but um, that's fine. Until, and I think even stepping back, let's say, from the house size, Right. It talks about in the comprehensive plan, the overall goal of maintaining our rural agricultural character of the community. Right. And I think by all accounts, and it seems like maybe I shouldn't say all accounts because maybe you're the outlier who seems to be arguing that our code does not need to be overhauled. That's not that what I said. That it's fine. That's not what I said. That's okay. what you're saying. Okay. All right. That in order to overhaul the code, which I believe we need to do, we need to go through and do a comprehensive build-out analysis, mm -hmm. which is something that's mentioned in there that we haven't done, and go 
as it relates to the commercial code, go uh, zoning district by zoning district and looking at the different uses, the different setback requirements, the different parking requirements, and saying, does this work or this doesn't work? Because I, you know, for example, in Mattituck, right down, right down the block, where the Brinkmans were, were looking to build their, their mega hardware store. You know, as the code is written, you know, they're allowed to do, I forget if it's six or 8,000 square feet as, as, as one building. But then they're also, by special, special exception, able to do two, and they're able to connect them. Now, you look at the public reaction to that, and this is widespread public reaction. There was an outpouring of opposition against that project. So I look at the zoning code and I say, you know what? That code does not map to the priorities of our community, right? And this has been going on for how many years just in that zoning district? So, I Greg, think so I, Greg, if I can interrupt now. Okay, yeah. So I don't disagree with you. Okay. And codes need to be okay. changed, but... I actually, I've been on the Ag Advisory Committee for years now. And one of the things we changed were agricultural definitions. Mm -hmm. We moved forward with it, and it took a long time. It did have to get vetted, and, and definitions did not correspond in different sections they of the code. They still don't. Of course. But we, what do you we mean, did of our course? Best. You have a code that has definitions that, that don't match That don't it. correspond. But we worked on one section of the code. Yes. And got it passed. So we got something done. I, so, I, worked, I worked my tail off for years with our committee and actually got something done. But in order to do things like that, you do need to work as a team with your committee and, and get response from the public. It mm -hmm. did go to public hearing. And those things are time-consuming. So there's no magic wand, but I know that I'm proactive. I've mm -hmm. done something. Mm -hmm. So I'm ready to go forward and, and move on exactly what you're saying. We do need to change zoning codes. We, we don't need another Brinkman's situation to, to happen. I totally agree with you. But we can move forward. If, if you can get in office or I can get in office, we will do those things. Let's but just move on and get Mr. Mealy and Mr. Williams <laughs> involved in the conversations as well. Well, I'm glad that we have a kind of a lively discussion on this because the comprehensive plan is probably one of the most important documents that have been put forward for town, the town moving forward. And as Greg Dorosky said, it's not enough that we've passed it and it's, you know, the town board approved it. Now, because of the push and pull factors that are pressuring Southhold and forcing Southhold into something that's different, that it's not accustomed to being, I am concerned as a candidate for town council about the future of Southhold. And I want to talk to Heather Lanza. I want to talk to Liz Weissman, um, Ms. Weissman about what their opinion is about moving forward with using the comprehensive plan to protect Southhold. And I feel as a candidate for town council, that's the role, the active role, the engaged role of using stakeholders to bring in what it's not just, you know, the opinion of the of the town council. It's not just the opinion of the trustees, but community experts to guide us together with as a community so we can maintain what we think as a community should be maintained and we can grow smartly with what can grow in terms of how we are going forward. And it's clear to me that the outside pressures are something that we've never seen before. 
And it's a clear contrast between the Republican side and the Democratic side about taking action to defend Southhold or leaving things as they are. And I want to take action to make sure that we protect our way of life, we protect what's good that's in Southhold, and we do a smart conversation, an engaged conversation. That's leadership. You know, as a leader through the school and through BOCES, we have to make the tough decisions. It's not enough to say that this is a state road. I'm going to call our state elected officials. I'm probably one of the few candidates that's met with every elected official in New York State. So I want the people of Southhold to know if it's a state issue, if it's a county issue, we can engage. We can't just say it's a Southhold problem. Many of the problems like traffic or the environment, it's a community, it's a widespread regional problem. And I want you to know I want to bring my background to help solve these solutions, to help move forward, to help protect Southhold going forward. Thank you. Mr. Williams. The comprehensive plan is very similar in many ways to a business plan for business. It's a living document. It's not quite a strategic action plan. It's a guide, a very vague guide at best. And the one constant in life is change. And we have to be able to address those changes, work through those changes, and given the opportunity, I will be reviewing the comprehensive plan. Obviously, it will get changed on a regular basis. Uh, I was involved um, mildly in the forming of the comprehensive plan. Uh, me and several of the members of the business community had a few meetings <clears throat> with the town regarding it. Uh, as far as you know being pro-business moving forward and it, again as, as, as all of us conceded none of this is easy it's it's really about listening to the community moving forward I would be very leery of entertaining the idea of zoning changes and stripping people's property rights and hurting them in their wallets as Mr. Dorosky has suggested to try and preserve what we have. I would be more inclined to use community preservation funds to find willing buyers and work with them and buy parcels of land to try and preserve the character of our community. All of these things take time, they take work, and they take talent. And we have to be patient, we have to keep our eye on the ball and see the projects through. So uh, Mr. Dorosky mentioned house sizing regulations earlier, and this has been a conversation um, with the town board for the past few weeks. Uh, I would like to ask each of you, you know, what are your stances on house sizing regulations in Southhold? Would you like me to answer first, Anthony? All right. There are methods uh, to control um, house sizes, and personally, uh, I think it's, it's something needed. Um, we've got a model right on the South Fork that we can follow. Uh, I, I, I think I'm, I favor what uh, Greg Williams says is that we've got to respect uh, property rights. If something is implemented, I believe it should be implemented for those uh, who don't have a project in mind currently or possibly when lands are being transferred. Uh, but I, I believe there's a, a strong need for it because, um, I mean, personally, I wouldn't want to be living uh, in my home in a, in a skyscraper built next to me. I mean, obviously a metaphor, but... Um, there are large homes towering over um, smaller homes, and, and I, I really believe that something can be done. 
Uh, I've been in the building industry all my life, so I know that there are codes and regulations currently. We have setbacks for properties and, and house size regulations currently, but simply amending them or, or increasing restrictions uh, is just another rule to be followed for future. But at the same time, let's just respect the current property owner's rights uh, and move forward on additional properties that uh, may be looking to expand uh, so that we don't have what's going on currently in our town. Uh, but that would be my position. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Mealy. Thank you. Thank you for the question. That's a very good one. I'm sorry. I think you can have one and the other. I think it's possible to respect homeowners' rights, landowners' rights, and I think it's possible to say put bounds in terms of what is realistic for housing size and what's keep in keeping with our architectural style. You know, if you just go around our community, if I challenge the listeners to go down Narrow River Road and see if they can find the mega house that sticks out and doesn't fit in. I challenge the listeners to go down New Suffolk and find the houses that are not in keeping with their neighbors and block views, but are allowable with the current coding and zoning. So, you know, so many people, when we go out and talk to different communities, this is happening in every village and every hamlet. So I think as a leader, we have to foster discussion, and it shouldn't just be born on the, soldiers, the shoulders of our civic associations, which um, uncannily, unsurprisingly, amazingly, all the civics band together and made a presentation to South Old Town. And at first, it wasn't met with pretty much, you know, kind of crickets. And as Greg Dorosky said, now the town seems to be having a little bit more impetus with dealing with that. But for me, as a citizen, that's a proud moment when Mattatuck and Orient and Laurel and East Marion all band together and say, listen, we're trying to make sure that we preserve our community. This is our presentation. These are our experts. We know the town has experts. We want to be heard and listened to. I want to make sure the civics know we hear you loud and clear. And as your next town council person, I will bring you to the table as stakeholders. I will bring in more experts. I will make sure that we have a comprehensive plan in terms of following through on the comprehensive plan. But real leadership from the town that is absent for years in terms of how we go forward with smart growth. Thank you. Uh, thank you. Ms. Mr. Williams. Four years ago, I ran successfully for the Board of Trustees, and uh, in serving on the Board of Trustees, I get to firsthand see many of these large waterfront housing projects. Uh, the Board of Trustees has suggested to the town that we do need to work towards coming up with code changes that would prohibit um, these larger structures on smaller lots. Uh, I have a friend that uh, built a house in Southhold, and uh, current housing, uh, current code allows you to build up to 35 feet high. And what we're starting to see is more of these contemporary tile flat roof homes. So at all four corners, it measures 35 feet high instead of a traditionally pitched roof where you have just one high point. And you know, looking at the house, I, you know, I was talking to the guy and I said, you know, what made you go with that style? He goes, well, my building envelope was so tight to get the square footage I need on a, on a 1,600-square-foot home, which is not a very large three-bedroom home. He had to build it in that fashion to get what, you know, what he was looking for. Um, I would be looking towards a pyramid law. I don't necessarily want to put a max square footage cap 
if you have 10 acres and you want to build an 8,000 square foot ranch because you have eight kids and five dogs and a fish and a horse, God bless you. You've accomplished the American dream. If you live on 0.2 of an acre, we want to make sure, I would want to make sure that the structure you want to build does match the size and scope of the neighborhood. We can still respect the property owner's rights, entertain a pyramid law. We don't want you in your in your back deck, you know, looking up and your and your second neighbor's house is 15 feet away, you know, looking down at you, you know, cooking your hamburger. Um, so there is common sense answers, primarily a pyramid law, to address those issues. Um, we do have some code in place that I believe is currently a 20% build-out lot coverage with front yard setbacks, side yard setbacks. It's probably not adequate. Keep in mind, when a lot of this code was written many, many years ago, it was a families out here. It wasn't primarily vacation homes, looking to build what they could afford to live in, two-bedroom homes, three-bedroom homes. Uh, I can count on one hand the last time I saw a two-bedroom home being built in South Hold Town in the last five years. They just, nobody's building them. It's, it's, they're building much larger houses. And again, my main concern is that we would match the scale and scopes of the neighborhood, make sure we don't scar the neighborhoods with, with unsightly homes. Thank you. And Mr. Jaroski. Yeah, so I'm strongly in favor of house size restrictions. And, uh, you know, unlike Mr. Williams, I, I, I don't think the current code is, is probably enough. You know, it, it really is, you know, on a two-acre lot, you can build a 40,000-square-foot house. That, that's, that's kind of insane. Um, and I think it's important to look at this, this problem as it relates to affordable housing in South Old Town. You know, most of the other East End communities have these sorts of restrictions. So these people that want to build these mega mansions are coming to South Old Town because we don't have the code in place to prevent that. So as Mr. Mealy mentioned, you can drive through pretty much any one of our hamlets right now and find not just one of these homes that don't fit the character of our community, but many homes. And it feels like they're picking up pace. Um, as Mr. Sanino mentioned, there's models that we can follow that these other communities have been done, ha ha have done already. Um, I think it's, honestly, I think it's a little lazy to demonize this as stripping people's property rights. You know, the code is constantly updated to prohibit certain things and permit certain things. And I think part of this, this process that starts with a build-out analysis, but also kind of trickles down to each different zoning uh, district, is looking at what we want to promote in these districts and what we want to prohibit in these districts. And I think some of these districts could use additional uses. You know, as we look at the affordable housing, you know, issue, you know, I think it makes a lot of sense to look at some of these commercial properties that have a lot of space, but, you know, it's, it's kind of the, the build-out is concentrated. As it is right now, you need two acres for every use in South Old Town. You know, maybe we want to look at adjusting that. So, for example, we could put some affordable housing on marina properties, 
You know, the, these are the sorts of things that we want to look at in this this process. And I think it 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 kind of hamstrings our discussion if we say, oh, they, they, they want to take property rights away. These are things that we need to do to serve the common good. And we need to balance the interests of individuals and the commons constantly in government. And I think that's where it comes to leaders to balance these interests. And we need to bring the business owners, the fishermen, the farmers, the community members, the civic associations, the chambers together and figure out what works. Um, you know, this isn't just about taking away. This is about preserving our community and making it more, you know, adding vitality to it and making it more resilient in the future. One of the things mentioned um, as uh, you were speaking earlier um, centered on the uh, Brinkman property where the town um, began the eminent domain procedure to, um, you know, to take that property. Um, obviously, none of you were on the board when the town made that decision. So we're, you know, we're curious, um, did the town make the right decision um, to use eminent domain? And, um, you know, what are your thoughts on how that has played out, given that it's been, you know, a, a contentious topic in, in the town for, you know, a couple of years now? And Mr. Mealy, if you want to go first on that. Yeah, that's a very good question. And from what I understand, with the town had ample opportunity to try to purchase it when it was kind of uh, purchasable, if that's a word. And as we've alluded to and often outright discussed, lack of action through the town in the current form has led to some tough decisions. And I almost feel like the decision for that eminent domain was kind of a last-ditch effort to stand up for folks who were against it. So, but if the town had acted properly previously, it wouldn't have to come to that. And I'm not sure about the, ch the town's chances of being successful with that eminent domain case. And not only did we miss an opportunity, but now we might have a costly lawsuit that's going to make more issues for the town. So I think eminent domain can be used as a tool, but I don't know if it was correctly applied in this situation. And I think if the town had led when they had the opportunity, it would have been a better outcome for all stakeholders, including the neighbors or business people. And I feel that we have to learn from that lack of action and we have to be more proactive because there's Brinkman's popping up all over Southhold. So as you alluded to, we've discussed there's a um, hotel projects that it's possibly being built in Southhold. We have to make sure that we approach it in a smart way. We have to approach it in terms of listening to what the impacts are. We have to approach it in terms of what is this going to do in terms of our tax base? Is this going to lower it? Is this going to raise it? What is this going to do about quality of life? So we really have to be smart when we look at all these issues. And I think we had a lost opportunity with Brinkman's. Now we're literally paying a price with this case. And, you know, we talk about respect of, you know, property owners. The town is not respecting property owners, but also the people that live in that neighborhood that would be infected, affected. It's important for them to have their voice being heard. So we don't need last-ditch efforts. We don't need, you know, late responses. We don't need things kicking, kicking the can down the road. We need engaged, proactive leadership, and that's what I would represent as your town council person. Mr. Williams, would you like to? Uh, yeah, the... 
situation there on the corner of Route 25 is, is very unique uh, and very complex. Um, to preserve property, you need a willing seller. If the person doesn't want to sell it, that's when you would exercise or could possibly exercise eminent domain. And, you know, I'll use the words of, of Mr. Sinino, you know, it's a tool we have in our toolbox, and it's the biggest hammer in our toolbox, not one you, you want to bring out first. That property was for sale. Uh, the county and the town uh, with, uh, had approached the owner at the time, uh, prior to the Brinkmans, there were two owners before the Brinkmans, and the property appraised at, I forget the exact number, it was in the neighborhood of 700000 they offered him 700000 The seller wanted more. We cannot use CPF funds to enrich people to, that want to take advantage of, you know, the desire to preserve. It needs to sell at a fair market appraised value. At that point, the land was not listed for sale. It got bought by Bridgeham National Bank, who fully intended to put a bank there. They weren't offering it for sale. They wanted to put a bank there. When Suffolk County National Bank closed up, the bank was sitting on it and really didn't have it listed for sale. They were approached. And then they were approached by the Brinkmans, who bought it from the, from the bank with the intention of putting a, a building there. So when it comes to leadership, you have to know a little bit. And you know, to say you want to preserve it, yeah, that's great. We want to preserve it. You need a willing seller to make this work. You just can't go to someone and say, oh, yeah, we're going to buy it for this, because now you're just stealing their property. So unfortunately, it got to where it was. The community came out in force, not in favor of the project, and the town leaders did what needed to be done at that time. Um, one can simply argue that, oh, well, it should have been bought years ago. So every parcel that's for development today could have been bought years ago, but it wasn't. We have a finite amount of money in the piggy bank to preserve land. And we're trying to do that, and I would continue to do it in a you know, smart manner. How can we get the best bang for their buck? Do we want to pay uh, $650,000 or $700,000 for two acres in the heart of town where the comprehensive plan says that we want to move Halo business and, and bring back a vital business community? Or do we want to purchase with that same price the, the building rights on 20 acres of, of farmland up on Oregon Road or, or out in Orient, now River Road? These are tough, tough decisions that need to be made with community input and people who know how the process works. To stand here and say we could have done better is an empty promise, okay? It's an unfortunate situation we were put in. The town made tough decisions. I own a business up the street. Do you think I'm comfortable with eminent domain? Not at all. I could be next. So it, the, the chips are where they are with it, and we'll see how it plays out. I think with this particular parcel, you know, it's easy to, to kind of lump it in with all the other vacant parcels around town and say, all right, well, if we were going to, you know, preserve that, why not just preserve all the parcels and we don't have the money? You know, if you go back and look at the, the Hamlet studies that were done in 2009, it highlights a parcel like that on the corner for preservation. So this is from 2009, you know, and... and the Brinkmans were able to figure out 
how to purchase it. I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say we can do better by preserving that parcel. They figured it out. And I think on far too many issues in South Old Town, the current, the current leadership just kind of takes this approach. They check off the box. They've done their part. Yeah, they reached out. Not available. This is a state road. We can't do anything on the traffic. You know, it's, you know, this farm that's causing all the traffic, it's their fault. And they've done their part. I think we need to have a more active, more thoughtful, and more muscular form of leadership in South Old Town. There's just... If that hardware store came to that corner, it would fundamentally change Mattituck Hamlet. And I think that's why the community came out in force in opposition to it. And it just shows that there is consensus there. What's lacking, though, is leadership to mobilize that consensus to action. I think eminent domain is dangerous, you know, as, as, as we've been talking about, it's, it's the biggest hammer in the toolbox. And I think in this particular case, it was used to cover up for our inaction as a town government. You know, if, if you know, we can point to, you know, one, two, maybe three times the current administration tried to buy it. You know, it's one thing if they were reaching out every week to purchase this thing and tried everything in their power to do it. It doesn't, you know, that doesn't pass the smell test to me. You know, picking up the phone and, and, and once or twice calling to purchase the property just, just doesn't do it for me. And then to see the widespread pretty near universal community opposition to that and then say, all right, well, eminent domain it. That, that, that really scares the heck out of me. Um, as it relates to this particular parcel, I, I, it's really, really tricky. Um, and, you know, reflecting back now, you know, I, I really could kind of go both ways on it. You know, in my gut, I support the decision but it just feels like it didn't have to get to that. And I, I know we can do, can do more, and I know we can do better than what, what, what they've done, or really as what they've not done. I just want to share as a member of the biz, business community and a member of the North Fork Chamber of Commerce and a person who frequents most of the businesses in town on a, on a weekly basis, very, very few, if any, members of the business community were for the eminent domain. There was a group of neighbors, a group of residents in the area that were concerned about it. They, you know, one of the big ones, are, oh, well, they're going to have tractor-trailer traffic. Mattituck Air Base was op operating my entire childhood. They used to have four freight trucks a day go to Mattituck Air Base. They would turn down the main road, down New Suffolk Avenue, they would back in and they would unload engines to be rebuilt and load up engines that were getting shipped out back to the customers. Um, 
I don't having a retail store with uh, what I have 27, 31 parking spots. Do you know how many times in my life that I've had all 27 or 31 parking spots I have on my site plan full in my busy little bike shop? Anybody want to take a guess? Never. So, you know, to build a, a hardware store to give the resident, you know, again, it's a free market economy. When, when they wanted to build 7-Eleven, I remember a group of people down there marching with their signs, stop 7-Eleven. It's a free market economy. If the Rick, people this was supposed to be my turn now. Yeah, oh. so, so just to clarify, are you against <laughs> eminent domain on that parcel? Because it seemed like you were for it before. At the end of the day, you do have to listen to the community and listen to community feedback. So is that a yes or a no? Am I for eminent domain on, on that, that parcel? On that parcel? You're going to pin me down, huh? Yeah. And what was your position? Just remind me. I said I support eminent domain on it. I think with, with everything being as it is at this point, I would support them continuing the path they're on. Mr. Yeah, Mr. I'm sorry. It's yeah. my turn now. Yeah, Thank you. Another question after that. <laughs> I so, apologize. Um, so obviously, um, none of us uh, know the particulars about what South Hill Town's options were years ago. Um, from what I understand is what Greg Williams understands. It was an opportunity, and, and uh, it didn't work out. Uh, I think knowing those particulars, you know, would put me in a different position. But I, I'm not here to support the, uh, the decision 10 years ago. Uh, currently, we're talking about what they did today because what they did today matters. The town board did react to our community. Um, eminent domain is, is an extreme measure. And, and for what they did, I think it was because it was an extreme condition. This structure was way out of scope and scale for that particular parcel. Um, I, I hope that they tried other means. If I were on the board, I'd, I'd try to talk them out of it. I'd, I'd encourage the planning board or the zoning board to negotiate the size or options. Um, but as a town board member, I would that would be my first job is is making sure that you know zoning and planning know what the options are and try to present this to the applicant to reduce the scope and scale. Uh, obviously, I mean, to me, to use an extreme measure like eminent domain, there were no other options. So I think the town reacted today uh, to respect our community. And I think they did the right thing. I don't know what they did 10 years ago. And to point fingers like Greg Dorosky is doing, I, I can't do that. Because if they had that chance, I don't know the particulars. I, I, and it would be very difficult for any of us to sit in, in a back room and figure out it, whether it was one phone call, like Greg's saying, or 100 phone calls to try to purchase the land. That's, that's, that's not today. Today is they made a choice. They respected our community. Um, and, and am I for eminent domain in general? Absolutely not. Um, there's no way in hell I would support it if it were, you know, a different circumstance. This is a circumstance that respected our community, and I think it was the right choice for this parcel um, and for this scope and scale of this project. So anyway, that's my that's So just my if position. I can jump in real quick, you know, you're saying that the project was out of the scope and scale of the community, correct? Uh, both that for the community, for that particular location, it the, was. The, the problem is it's permitted with special exception in the code. 
So the other thing we could have done as a town... Only if the buildings are separate and, and the applicant wanted their space to be in one structure, which would not be No, acceptable. it has a breezeway between them. And similar to what people do with uh, garages and whatnot, a breezeway uh, does not count as, as, as a single building. So they were doing what was permitted in the code as the code is currently written. So what we could have done before, and this doesn't even get, you know, it doesn't deal with the park or the green space that the community wants, but we could have dealt with preventing a project that, as you're saying, does not match the scope or scale of that particular parcel. And this is why I think it is so important for us to update the code. This is an example and there are other examples, and this is where we need to do a comprehensive build-out analysis. Right, and our comprehensive plan will allow for that. We but that's will why be we need to, to implement it. it. That's that. That's why you know, Anthony. That the that scope and scale is still permitted in the code. Understandable, and, and so that's we why haven't we... changed it. And it, the, the eminent domain case has been going on, and the existing zoning on this parcel that you are saying does not match the scope or scale of the community is still permitted in the community. That shows we need to do something. Time is running out here. There are other parcels like that. And, 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 and you know, what are we gonna do? So with my work with changing code, as simple as definitions for agriculture were, there needs to be a hard look at when you make a code change, how does that affect parcels that you're not concerned about? There's a tremendous amount of work that goes behind the code change. So I do respect that the town needs to do this, but they need to do it cautiously. Because, Absolutely. There's because you, you may not think that property rights yeah. are important, but as a property owner, that is I believe that property rights are important. completely untrue and unfair to say that this sort of discussion – it's a caricature of the point that I'm trying to make here. By saying we need to update the code, therefore I don't respect property rights, I reject that. That is false. We need to update the code. Let's move on. Yes. Um, I want to talk about climate change, and then we have a bunch of areas we do want to get to. Um, climate change is one of those issues that has sort of fallen into a lot of political rabbit holes over the years. We live on this bony little finger that sticks out into the middle of the Atlantic with water on both sides of us. Obviously, there may not be local ways to deal with it, what's happening nature-wise, but is the town prepared? Are we getting prepared? Should we be prepared? And what is the town's role in this? And should there be a town's role in this? We'll start with you, Anthony. I think, I think we need to continue the town's role of responsible growth, and this leads back to uh, not just land preservation, but keeping land and agriculture. Um, I'm, I'm actually a charter member of Long Island Sustainable Wine Growing, which um, I guess we're in our seventh or eighth year now. So our practices as a grower, a wine grower, and this doesn't hold true for all agriculture. It's very specific to wineries now, and we're trying to expand it into other agriculture. But as far as a vineyard owner and, and vineyard manager myself, our policies and our practices are actually mitigating things that could impact our environment. So um, we took the first stance uh, in our industry, per se, but uh, we need to continue that. 
Uh, in general, keeping land in agriculture will also preserve our water, uh, water quality. Um, development does not help our water quality. We're, we've got higher and higher densities that affect uh, groundwater through septic systems, bringing up our nitrogen loads. So um, going back to my, my first statement early on, um, if you look at Western Suffolk, uh, sewer plants and, and sewer treatment plants are essential when your groundwater is getting contaminated because of high-density homes. So uh, again, I'm, I'm circling back into agriculture and land preservation here for agriculture because I think it's our single greatest tool uh, in South Hole Town. I, I don't believe any other township has the number of acres we have uh, in agriculture. So it, it's maintenance, it's responsible growth, it's continuing the plan that we have set forth. Um, but again, uh, for me, it's going to be incentivizing that farmer to continue agriculture so that the next generation can actually be a viable farm and, and they can generate their, um, their incomes from the farm. Uh, and then this will circle back into affordable housing. No need to talk about affordable housing if the next generation can't live here. Uh, if we can keep some industry, and if it happens to be agriculture, a viable industry, then our next generation can stay here. And then we do have an extreme need for more affordable housing. So I think everything ties together. And when it comes to um, climate change, um, let's keep our land in agriculture because we, we will keep the cleanest water. Uh, the next step I would do is community outreach. I think we can all do very small parts um, and, and probably set up committees and, and get people to be more aware of the simple things that we can do to help mitigate climate change just locally and within our community. Mr. Mealy. Um, I think the environment is probably one of the most important pillars for a successful South Hole future. And I'm proud as a town council candidate that I have some bona fide environmental credentials. I was a board member with Peconic and Growth and we specialized in installing wastewater systems to mitigate nitrogen load. And we did the groundwork. We talked to the homeowners that are in our bays and near our estuary. We did the survey to make sure that what's to, to scale, what, how much does it cost? Can we, get, can we talk to our county elected officials to get funding? Can we get funding from the state? Do, do we have any ap applicable funding from the feds? So. That's the kind of experience I would bring in terms of looking at the environment, caring about the environment. And as a town council member, I would want an environmental board that can inform the board of what are the pressures of brown tide? Why do we have so much die off? Are we mitigating the, the, the runoff? Is there something that the town can do on a local level to make sure that runoff is reduced? Are we taking care of our aquifer? Are we making sure that we have support from the county and from the state, that it's not just a South Old problem, but it's a regional problem? And I would want to make sh look into the, the understanding of having a civil servant who is an environmentalist in terms of making sure that our re natural resources are looked after in addition to what the trustees do in support of what the trustees do. And a lot of times we have um, the, the trustees will suggest something to the board and it's a good change, it's a thoughtful change, and because of lack of action, that necessary change has not gone forward for various reasons. I wanna be part of a town council that's responsive to the trustees, that listens to our experts, that gathers all stakeholders. 
I want to make sure that as we go forward smartly, we, we need to grow, but we can't grow if our water is dirty. We can't grow if our bays are polluted. Nobody would want to come here and live here. Right now, we have an opportunity to act in terms of holding the line. And right now, we have the opportunity to expand the conversation on how we can do better. Right now, we have the opportunity to engage with our, there's local experts in our community that are not being listened to. And I want to make sure that those people who have a heart for the community know that this town council person will listen. This person will fight on all levels, on the county level, on the state level. This person has advocated for the environment. This person, with lack of town action, has been part of a group to try to move forward in terms of how we preserve our estuary and waterways. So I want you to know that I have those credentials. Mr. Williams. Can you please repeat the question? Um, <clears throat> Climate change is upon us. I mean, there are streets now that kind of routinely flood. The creek behind my house, I've never seen it so high in the last, just the last few months. That's actually the last few days, there have been amazing high tides. What should be the town's role and how can you prepare for it? For example, Route 48 um, by in Greenport there routinely floods over and gets into Hashemomic. They spent a lot of money redoing that road. They didn't raise it at all, so I presume it still has, has a threat to being a washover area. How concerned are you about Southolt's preparation for the, for all this that's coming? And just to be clear, are we addressing more sea level rise, climate change, or kind of the both together? Kind of both together. It's okay. certainly surrounded on both sides with water. Fair enough. Um, again, just so there's no confusion, it's Greg Williams speaking. The uh, I've spent my adult life encouraging people to use green transportation. I sell bicycles. About eight years ago, when I started seeing articles about certain bodies of water in South Hole Town being closed for seasonal shell fishing, I got involved. I submitted my resume to the South Hole Town uh, Conservation Advisory Council, where I served. Uh, when the opportunity came to run for trustee, I ran for trustee. Uh, as a trustee, I have worked hard towards protecting the environment. One of the things that we've done is, uh, it's going to go more towards water quality, is um, required the use of uh, innovative alternative septic on projects, uh, you know, before the county uh, made that mandate. Um, as a town, I am concerned with sea level rise and climate change. Uh, again, when the code was written and addressed, sea level rise and climate change was not an issue and that is something that we do need to keep in mind moving forward and this is one of those things where you know do we be proactive do we be reactive um, Mr. Mealy talks about a lot of things that he would like to do I'm curious as to how he plans to pay for those committees and people and experts I have a very strong uh, responsibility I feel a very strong responsibility to be you know fiscally responsible to the to the taxpayers of this town to to not to make sure we use the money wisely <clears throat> so there has to be a very strong mix of, of proactiveness to raise roads in certain areas reactiveness to say hey you know on this one let's wait and see because the proposed project is very expensive or costly uh, I think the best advocate is is education and public outreach, is trying to get people to 
use best practices in their own daily life to do better for the environment, to reduce waste, to conserve energy, conserve water. And, you know, hopefully we can get get that across. Uh, you know, you look at some in South Hill Town, uh, some of the homes here are the largest waters in Suffolk County Water Authority, irrigation, you know, uh, and we're not talking about agricultural uses either. So, you know, there there is ways for improvement. Again, there is no crystal ball on this one. <clears throat> and, and how quickly is it going to uh, accelerate? You know, there, there's no need to know. And, and that area in Greenport where you're talking about, uh, the trustees and myself are very concerned about that because at high tide on a storm, the wave action is less than 20 feet away from County Road 48. If County Road 48 fails there and Long Island Sound breaches into Arshamamic Pond, I don't know how they would repair that. I, I don't I don't see a way to, to fight Mother Nature back to, to bring that back. Can I respond about how to pay for it? Sure. Well, you should know as a trustee that we have access to grant monies. And I am surprised and shocked that the trustees have not taken more advantage of grant money to help support the environment. And as somebody who was plugged in as an advocate on all levels of the state, and as somebody who was part of Pecan and Green Growth, that was the only way we could do the study. That was the only way we could install the wastewater system on Mary's Road in Mattituck, the first in Suffolk County, because we had grant money. So as a public person, as somebody who's trying to run for town council, we have to be activated and engaged with all the tools that we have. And I'm sorry to say that in terms of the trustees, some of the opportunities talk about missed opportunities. We've missed opportunities as a town to have an engaged trustee board that can activate the funding that can get a project. And then on the town council level, maybe we can activate funding once we get that grant. Okay, lock it into the budget. How can we, you know, as a school board member, I'm so blessed to have my budgetary planning of a comparable budget to the South Hall Town. And as a BOCES member, the BOCES budget is $378 million. And I read the budget, 980-page budget book every year to make sure that I'm advocating for all our schools. So that's what I would do as a public official, activate the grant money, get our stakeholders, get the expert in terms freely given advice about how to activate grant money. There's people that have been advising the town on how to do grants. There's people who are grant writers that have written millions of dollars of grants because of lack of inaction through the town. We miss out on those opportunities to preserve one of our most precious resources, our environment. So I'm very engaged. I'm very willing to look into those funding resources. And not everything can come from the tax base, but we have not availed ourselves of the available money on the federal level with the legislation coming out for the environment. If, you know, I feel so proud that if I could be the town council, we would unlock and make those links to make sure, because of my background, that South Hole gets the funding that it needs to do what it needs to protect this environment. And just out of curiosity, where does this grant money come from? There are many grants that are on the county level. There are many grants on the state level. There are many grants that are through um, environmental groups that if you do a certain project, if you meet the criteria, there are certain criteria that South Hold has met. But where, where does the actual money come from? 
Some of it comes from private funding. Some of it comes from county-level funding in terms of the wastewater system. Some um, homeowners can get, if they put their wastewater system in, they can get some tax breaks on the county level. And also there are some state-level programs coming in that could provide that initial funding. And we have to have a smart discussion. You know, there's no panacea. But the main problem that we're understanding is the lack of action is going to cripple us. The lack of action you know, our waterways are going to go down the tubes and we have to stand in and say and be representative and, and be engaged and be ready to fight for this is heaven. We live in heaven. And I want South Hall to know I'm going to fight tooth and nail to make sure we can improve and, and protect our waterways. I just want to say one thing. Most of the grant money comes from taxes. So it comes back to being physically responsible to the taxpayers of South Hall to work smart. I, I, from what Mr. Mealy had said, I can only uh, assume he has a, a very vague understanding of what the trustees actually do and how hard we work on a weekly and monthly basis for the taxpayers and residents of South Hall Town. I have a very good understanding of what the trustees do. Some of the people I've, in my public service, I look up to the trustees and they have an, an enormous um, you know, weight on their shoulders. And as a town council person, I want to make sure that the trustees know if they're trying to advocate for the town, if they're trying to make changes for the betterment of Southhold, this town council member will listen. This person will be in action. This person will be engaged. This person will listen to their experience. And this person will help move Southhold forward. Mr. Zorowski. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy uh, Mr. Williams brought up fiscal responsibility again. Uh, because I think it's easy to caricature these sort of environmental issues as a waste of taxpayer funding. You know, I, I'd kind of look at it a little bit differently, you know, and as we look at uh, infrastructure projects that we're doing in town that currently don't take climate change into consideration, and we're spending hard-earned tax dollars on that, and we're not taking climate change into consideration, we know what's going to happen. That is a waste of money. I think climate change is an existential threat that is facing us as, as, a, as a world, but it, 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 it's magnified for us on Long Island. We see the, high, the tides getting higher. We, 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 we know it's coming. It's not something that, as Mr. Williams is, is suggesting, that maybe we could be reactive for to, to see how bad it is. We know it's going to be bad. We know if we look at the flood maps that the county has, that the current flood risks, that, is a, that gives us a good idea of where we should be looking right now. As a starting point, and the county's already done this, they consider the impacts of climate change on any infrastructure project before they waste tax dollars on redoing a road that's going to be underwater before its, its, its uh, you know, useful life is over. You know, I, I think looking, you know, last time in, in 2019, we were really pressuring the town board that we were one of the few <coughs> Long Island communities that had not become a climate smart community. And as we, took about, as, as we talk about uh, grant funding op opportunities, there is grant funding that's available through that program. Usually it's matches, so it's not 100% you know, grant money, but it is, it is grant money. 
but you need to achieve a certain level of certification. We still haven't gone through that certification process. I was talking to one of the people on the, uh, the, the, the committee that's uh, overseeing that, and uh, he resigned because the, the, he was unable to get the department heads in all of the town departments to report on what sort of activities they may have already done that fits into this plan so they could so they could show that we were already doing some of these things and we are already doing some of these things but we need to do more and you know i think we need to look at you know water quality is super super important it's one of the key issues facing our community land preservation is super super important but climate change really kind of trumps all of this because it's all we're all going to be underwater soon and i think we really really need to get ahead of this and it's not something we can afford to be reactive on we need to put benchmarks in place we need to figure out what it is we're doing as a community and as a town government to lead the way here you know there's this kind of idea that uh, the states are the laboratories of democracy i think town government with good leadership, can be innovative and, and promote solutions that we can take and implement on a larger scale. And I think issues like climate change, as we look at, I'm sure Mr. Williams is familiar with the Living Shoreline initiatives that they're doing, you know, and, and moving away from hardening the shoreline, at, which, you know, with Climate change is not a good thing. You know, Greg, if I can interrupt a second. Is that right? Or you finished? Oh, I was just on a roll. Man. Okay, good. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. I, I just wanted to mention, um, most people don't know, but my winery was actually built as a passive home type construction. It's extremely energy efficient. Um, so as a town leader, I would look to build structures of, of similar value um, if, if, if we need to build in our township. Um, and I, but my, Anthony, I think that's awesome, right? And I think we need to take initiatives like that and bring them to the town level, right? Because well, currently, currently, there's no mechanism in South Old Town to promote, you know, zero, you know, net 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 zero, uh, you know, carbon building emissions. Yeah. Right? So my, so my that, question, that, so my the continuation too, right. is my, my question to you though is like I've taken steps, right? And I really believe that you know agriculture is like key important to keep our land open in space. Uh, aside from structures, um, I, give us some ideas. Give us some of your insight uh, as to what you would actually uh, implement. All right. Uh, so so with, mitigate. Yeah, with all of, with every, ev everything I would propose, right? Planning is key. And I think, you know, we look at something like the Climate Smart Communities Initiative, and it has certain benchmarks and it sets out certain metrics that we can use to say, how are we doing on this areas? And it's things like emissions on our fleet, uh, you know, all, all of that sort of stuff. I think we need to, to take that and make it more transparent to the, first of all, b before we make it more transparent, we need to get the work done as a town of getting certified in this program and kind of moving to the next step but then we need to put this information out there so the public can push us forward, right? I think we also, as we look at something like you've done with building, incentivize builders, homeowners with tax incentives to do these sorts of things. I think as a town, you know, and I, I think 
climate change is such an important issue and it relates to all of these other issues. You know, we look at, for example, uh, you know, renewable energy. You know, you look at the East Hampton capped landfill. They have a huge solar array on there. You look at our town and we have nothing. No, that's not true. We, we covered the entire um, animal shelter. The animal solar. shelter. Do you know? Th- so th- th- far. Th- the we, amount we actually, we actually, I'm, I'm not the here to The amount of kilowatts that produces, it's, it's like a few houses. We're talking about a solar farm that is fundamentally different. And I'm not you know, here the, to defend that the town has done enough. We okay. have not. I agree with and, you. And, and, you know, I, I think the key point here, and I think this is kind of a one of the fundamental problems with this, this kind of current administration here, is we kind of check off the box and then we, we, we move on to something else. You know, we, we after receiving pressure during the last campaign, they joined the Climate Smart Community Program so they checked the box, and then nothing happened. We put the the solar. There's actually. We sp- there's actually could the, you please let me finish? No, but you you're, you're not being me. truthful because we actually do have stuff um, irons in the fire right now for things. So um, you can't you can't say they haven't done anything. And as it th- relates to that program, we haven't moved into the certification phase, right? And th- this is this is the only thing I'm talking about here. You know, as it relates to solar. We did the solar on, on the animal shelter. We checked the box, and it's like, oh, we've done our thing. We need to be constantly looking at what more we can do here. This is an existential threat facing our community. We can't afford to be reactive here. Uh, thank Sorry. you. Sorry. Thank you. Um, I would just like to switch gears here a little bit. Um, as most of you probably know, um, New York recently legalized the sale of marijuana. Um, so if you were on the town board today, would you be pushing for the town to opt out of allowing retail sales and on-site consumption in South Holt? Uh, let's start with Mr. Sneed. Actually, let me just play referee for a second. I don't think we've started any questions from this side oh, of the room. Sorry. So let's, we'll as we move forward, let's start from this side of the room and work down. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Grant. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Mr. So, Mr. No, Mr. I'm, I'm happy to, to, to jump in here. And, and this is something... Um, I actually published, uh, uh, or you published, a letter that I submitted uh, to the Suffolk Times uh, advocating to opt out of retail and on-site recreational marijuana in South Old Town. And my kind of slogan was opt out until we figure it out. And I think that's kind of the approach we have to take. And I think if we look, you know, th- this, this is something, you know, that came down, what, four or five months ago? And, you know, we know this is coming. We have until December 31st to opt out or we lose the opportunity to opt out. There's also a mindset that if we can update our zoning code, we may not need to opt out, can still get some of the tax revenue, but we need to make a zoning code that reflects the priorities of the community. We're currently not doing that. You know, th- this is this is one of those things that I feel like we're going to get to, you know, mid next year when this when this is 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 legal here and the community is going to say, you know, how, how, how does this happen? You know, we know how it happens. This is something that came down. I called to opt out while we figure it out so we can take a look, you know, hold some public hearings. There's a mechanism in the law to hold a referendum so we can put together a plan 
and then put it out there to the community and say, this is what we want to do as a community. Hey, community, vote on it. I think with this sort of thing, that is the best approach. Thank you. Uh, Mr. Williams. Yes. Um, I'm familiar with the, the um, situation on that, and I have been talking to a, a number of members of the community. I would uh, support and vote to opt out of that. Uh, there are many... Many, many sides of both of it. I, again, one of the reasons I'm running is to protect the quality of life. And I was recently visiting Manhattan. You walk down a street in Manhattan with my wife and two kids. I smell it on almost every street corner, very distinctive, unpleasant smell. I don't enjoy it. I don't explaining it to my young children what it is. Um, so as quality of life, I would not want that in the town that I live in. Uh, and a number of residents that I've spoken with agree with me on this one. Um, if someone were to want to grow it in a limited fashion in their backyard and, and, and partake in it on their property, that's their prerogative. Uh, but I don't want to go to the dances on the park in Greenport. I don't want to go to the music on the town square in Southhold. I don't want to go to Vets Beach with my family at any of these venues and have to be subject to that. Uh, also, there is an enforcement issue um, how do you, you know, if somebody goes to a, to a, you know, we have a bar to drink alcohol, I don't know what you would call a place to go smoke marijuana or cannabis, but, you know, if a person goes there and, and drives under the influence, it's very difficult to check for that. There's no breathalyzer. Um, and you would have to, there is a special training that the police force would need. Uh, at this point, I think we have about six police officers on the whole five eastern towns that are trained to detect this. Um, you know, so I'm concerned about your family's safety, my family's safety, operating a motor vehicle with, with people driving down the road uh, with this. And also, there, there is a, you know, they dangle the carrot at the end of the stick is, oh, well, the money will come back in your community. The money goes to the governor's office, and the governor's office has indicated that they would put the money back into the community. It's not going into the general fund to lower your taxes. That money is going to be put back in the community as the government's office, governor's office sees fit. So that may come with strings. You know, we want to see you uh, increase uh, drug awareness. Or, you know, so it's not, it's not saving taxpayers money. It's, it's something that would come to the community that the community may or may not want. Thank you. Mr. Mealy? Good question. And I think it's another example of how we can try to try to be proactive as a town or that we're oftentimes reactive to county forces and state forces. And I feel like we have to look at the Colorado plan and how they unveiled it, how their tax income goes to supporting different things. We have to look at the Massachusetts plan, how they unveiled it, how they, you know, again, in keeping with their community, in keeping with the concerns about how it's legalized, there are so many discussion points that we have not started in Southhold. And I think Greg Doroski is right about the release valve in terms of um, if we're, we're just not ready. And I want the people to know that are listening. As your town council person, I want to be ready. I have been ready. I have been in the boardroom to decide tough decisions. I know how to weigh the facts. I know about fact-based decision-making. I know how to make a tough choice. I know how to listen to our community. So I want the people to know that this is one, probably one of the most, you know, 
issues coming down the pike and as somebody that does his homework to make sure he's up on the issues. You know, all these things, we can't just be reactive to state laws. We have to be engaged in how that process works. We have community education that has to be, you know, expanded. You know, there's a, there's a lack of basic understanding of this. And as a town servant, that would be one of my proud jobs is to educate the community, give us our options, break it down, as um, Greg Williams says, about how I want to fight for our tax dollars. If, that, if that's something that the state made legal, I want to know what Southhold can make in terms of how that can support our community in other ways. So I want the people to know that I'll be reading up on it, studying it. I want community engagement. We have to stop being reactive and be proactive, and we have to develop a community plan, not just something that the town council pushes down to Southholders. We, we, need to, we haven't even had an open forum about it. So we have to begin the conversation before it's too late. Thank you, and Anthony. And Brian, I agree with you totally. And I agree with you also, Mr. Williams, that opt out until we figure it out. Um, that's great if we figure it out, right? We haven't, and the town's not uh, being proactive. So it definitely, definitely needed to have been done a while ago uh, because we can only opt out until December 31st, and then we're opting in automatically. Yeah, by default. So we don't have... We don't have a plan in place, and when we talk about changing zoning codes, yeah, there, there might be dispensaries, there might be a smoke shop, a place where people can hang and and do that as if it were, you know, alcohol, but now it's, it's you know, marijuana. So, yes, we, we need to be proactive, and, and um, I believe that we're behind uh, in doing any of that. Um, so a lot of stuff has to be considered. Our zoning locations for these things are huge. Where, where is it going to take place? How is it going to f affect our community? So um, uh, when I get in, I will definitely be the one being proactive on not just this issue. This issue. We, we've, got, we've got issues and, and things to be changed, but uh, we, we can't wait on this. Uh, this is something that is coming our way by January, and I don't think we have the answers for it yet. But um, again, Brian, I'm also uh, on board with you. Let's look at where are the tax dollars. I, I don't know if it's going to end up in, in the governor's office, and I, I don't know where that money's going. But yes, we need to, like, we have no choice. It's coming here. We need to know how to secure those tax dollars, and uh, let's throw it back into our community to mi mitigate any of the issues that may arise because we automatically opted in. So um, that's my position on it. You know, I wanted to ask a question about potential conflict of interest. So bear with me for a second, because this could be kind of convoluted and go, go a long while. You know, Mr. Mealy, you raised the point earlier about you've, and I, I, have, I have not fact-checked this. I've been in this room the whole time. Um, you said that there's more foreign money going to your opponents than there, there are to you guys. Um, or I money think, outside of South Town. Money outside of South To Old. clarify. And, and is this, when you talk about that, are you talking about people who may have a business interest here but don't live here? or Both. They're outside okay. business interests contributing okay. at, a, in my opinion, a raised rate. And that's something that you could Google and figure mm -hmm. out the contributions. It's not something – I'm not an investigative reporter. It's yeah, something yeah. that's common knowledge and, and that something can be looked up. Sure. Um, and, you know, also um, I know a couple times it's been – brought to us by people who, and I, I don't want to suggest that anybody's done anything unethical or illegal. I want to make that clear. Um, but, you know, there was people who were questioning when 
Mr. Sonino, you hosted at your winery, you hosted like a meet the candidates night. And some people said, is that okay for him to do? Could that be a conflict of interest? He has a business interest there. Um, you know, with the, uh, I believe the Democrats, I believe you guys have an event coming up, some sort of meet the candidates uh, that's hosted by the owner of the, the new owner of the old mill who has a project before the ZBA right now. Yeah. Um, I know with the enclaves, there was a letter this week where there was a bunch of business people signed on um, and said that they support the enclaves. It was kind of a f- form letter. I know it was like, you know, Dan's Papers and e- even the brewery where you work. I, uh, Mr. Vandenberg signed on to that and said he huh. supports that project. And you work there. That could be. Yeah. So my question for you guys, I just wanted to set it up with, with all those things. Is how do you balance that those potential conflicts of interest that people may see? With you know, and the the potential for what might benefit you know your businesses or or your business interests, what might benefit um, people who donated to your campaigns, um, you know, or people who helped host a fundraiser, with just what you know you think the people who voted you in want from you. So I, I guess speaking for myself, just to clarify, I do not stand behind Mr. Vandenberg's letter supporting the enclaves. And I think maybe that is a good kind of indication of maybe an approach we need to have going forward. You know, I think this is one of the reasons that local journalism is so important to kind of dig into these issues um, and, and put people on the spot, you know, asking, you know, what do you think about this? You know, it looked it doesn't look good because of A, B or C. You know, I I am one of Mr. Vandenberg's employees. I do not, you know that doesn't reflect my opinion as one of his employees. I think as it relates to, you know, someone holding a a meet and greet for us, we've been very, very, um, one thing we've really focused on this, um, this year, uh, this cycle is reaching out to as many people and asking them to host meet and greets for us and to, to, you know, put us in front of your friends, ask us questions, you know, you know, the more opportunities we have to engage the community, the better. Um, I didn't see you at my meeting greets, you know, <laughs> why didn't you come? <laughs> I think, I think an individual hosting a public meet and greet for us, which this is, is a little bit different you know, if you have concerns with it, I would recommend that you go there and kind of listen to the discussion that we're having. I think um, this is a little bit different than some of the campaign finance stuff that we're talking about. Um, I do, you know, this gets outside of the scope of uh, the town board, but I think, you know, Citizens United, the Supreme Court decision has done a lot of harm to our political process of throwing a lot of big money into politics. And, um, you know, questions of conflict of interest, questions, you know, especially, you know, the, the last, um, you know, president who was kind of constantly promoting his own personal brand. Um, I do, you know, and this is, I think, me speaking more as an individual than as a candidate. I do, you know, I, I think there's, there's a line you shouldn't cross, you know, promoting your own business as a candidate. But I think, you know, also for all of us, you know, and thinking of Mr. Sonino here, he's proud of it. He's a small business owner. He's, you know, he's put his, you know, blood, sweat and money into this project. And, you know, it's it's you know, he was probably had to work there, 
So I, I didn't... I had to serve people those <laughs> yeah. days. But uh, quite honestly, it's an opportunity. I have, I have a, a location that people can meet at at a regular yeah. basis. So, no, I didn't, I didn't think... I, I didn't know that that could be a conflict of interest. I just thought that I had a location that would be uh, convenient uh, for us to meet at on a regular basis. But um, it's a good question. But going back to um, what Brian was saying, outside money, because I'm trying to think of, like, you know, did I collect checks from outside money? And I did. I collected from an individual that owned a home in South Hole that uh, I managed a construction project for him last year. But the check he wrote comes from his concrete company in, in Queens or something. But he owned a house out here, so um, I guess, you know, he felt compelled to contribute. He knew I was running, has a lot of respect for me. But I guess, uh, and as you said, Brian, it is public knowledge. You can, anybody can look this stuff up. Um, but yeah, we look at outside money, but who, what does that mean? Like to me, I know this guy, I know he owns a house in Southall, he has interest out here. He may not vote out here because he may live in the city or something, but he cares about Southall. Um, and are many of those checks like that? I don't know, you know, but, um, I, I, I can see that, you know, just bringing up that point, does that mean outside money? We also have a lot of individuals that moved to Southall in the last... 18 months. We, we saw this with the, the COVID change and a lot of people moved down here. But are they really out here or do, do they still live in the city, but now they contribute out here? Is that considered outside money or is that you know, local money? You know, how do we gauge or, or actually take a metric on, you know, where this money is and why? Um, I, you know, I, I know you're concerned, Brian, if it's mm -hmm. outside the outside influence. Um, I don't know, but there's no metric for how much of it is really uh, a, a negative influence versus how much of it is a serious contribution because they care. I think the other kind of significant point here, and not to get too much into the weeds, but just comparing kind of uh, the number of individual contributors and the average contribution side uh, to our side this year is, you know, orders of magnitude lower. And again, you know, th this, these numbers are kind of constantly shifting. But our money primarily comes from individuals writing smaller checks, and there is at least the perception, and I think this is where, you know, honestly, this needs to be an ongoing discussion because the point that you're making about this gentleman who, you know, has a, has a concrete company up the island but lives out here, you know, uh, would probably help the general public who looks at something like that and say, oh, my God, a, 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 a concrete company from Queens or something is donating money out here. Why are they doing that? And I think we need to, you know, this is where transparency is so important here. And I think, you know, I think too often, you know, politics, especially now, you know, any time that there's a question, we automatically go to our corners and we duke it out. And, you know, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, a, a, an ad that the GOP just put up right now that is accusing, uh, you know, New York City liberals of coming out here and taking our homes and trying to change our community. I see that as something that's harmful to the political discourse. I think we need to have more of this discussion where we can kind of clarify these issues with each other and, and talk through the issues because, you know, honestly, a lot of the issues that we're facing out here are not de Democrat issues or Republican issues. It's not left or right. 
it's forward or back. And I think we need to move forward here. And the only way we can do it is together. You know, we live together in this community. And I think the more of this kind of discussion that we can have, the more the local newspaper can help facilitate this discussion by saying, hey, what's going on, you know, South Old GOP? You know, you have all of these construction companies from the up the island uh, donating. What's going on? South Old Democrats, you're holding a fundraiser. You know, it's not a fundraiser. It's just a meet and greet. It's someone's establishment, and he's before the ZBA because, you know, his property is basically the size of his building. <laughs> you know, what's going on? And let, let's talk about this stuff together because I think the more we can talk about it, the less – you know, the the less accusations and the less kind of wariness of each other, and we can kind of move forward. My apologies if I described Grant, it as a fundraiser. I'm not okay. sure if I did. Uh, maybe not, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Grant, I appreciate that question so much, and I want the folks listening to know I'm the only town council candidate that has had conflict of interest training through my role as a school board member. And that's something, as Greg Dorosky said, about having the community discussion I feel that's something as the elections get bigger and more money comes from different places that we have to have a community discussion about the education of it. And I, I, I made that comment to draw the contrast that, yes, money is a necessary evil for elections, but for this race, this party, we have far less outside South Old Town contributions. And I also wanted to make the contrast that many of our events, it was come as you are. They were not paid events because we were more interested in fostering a community discussion than trying to get money. Mine for, weren't paid either. Okay, all right. Thanks. <laughs> Thank you for that distinction. But I want the folks to know I'm the only one, the only town council person that has sworn to uphold the, the state constitution and the United States constitution four separate times. And that means that integrity of office means a lot to me. And having that training about what is a conflict of interest, I can tell you that some of the things that you discussed are conflicts of interest. And I want the people to know as a town council member, I know what is a conflict. And I want to do everything as these elections get bigger to stay away from that and to make sure that we are on the concerns of our community stakeholders and not somebody that has business before the town. And I want to say that publicly. That's wrong. That if somebody is trying to influence the election, that's wrong. And I want the people to know that I'll be aware of that, and I have training with that, and I have not violated that as a public official. Mr. Williams, I want to give you a chance to answer, but then also uh, I do think we need to wrap because I know Joe has an assignment to get to. Brianne has an assignment. I think you know everybody's got work to do. So uh, we've we, so I'll give you a chance to answer, and if anybody else wants to quickly comment, but we do need to wrap up. Money's not an evil. Money's a tool. And to have success, you need to have tools in your toolbox. And to mount a successful campaign, you need to have adequate voter outreach through mailing, phone calls, door knocking, pamphlets. So we've had many people from the community. And you talk about transparency. This is New York State campaign finance. You can go on the website. It tells you the name, address, and then you can search the South Hill Town Tax Database, Transparency. You can go on the town website, type in names, and you can find their address. It's all at your fingertips. You just got to go to a library, get on a computer, and do it up if you don't have one at home or a smartphone. So I've had many people give me campaign contributions this year, telling me good luck, they believe in me, and they know I can serve the town in the town's best interests. So yes, to mount a successful campaign, you, you do need to raise money. 
um, I'm pretty sure that the ads that are in your paper are not free. Somebody's paying for them. So, you know, you want to get paid. We need to educate the voters as to our platforms, our issues, what our intentions is. You know, this is a good group of guys right here on the side of the table. I don't have a bad thing to say about any of anybody. And, you know, we're all working hard. Uh, we want to make sure that we have our best foot forward, and we want to make sure that the voters are informed and educated. And, you know, this costs money. And, yes, I, I do get campaign contributions, many of which, you know, you meet someone and it comes from a check from their second home in Garden City. I mean, you know, as a kid, we called this Garden City East. Uh, you know, they have a second home wherever it may be outside of South Hole Town, and that's their, their address. But they have a, a home here. Some of them vote here. Some of them don't vote here. But, you know, they have chosen to invest in our community as well because of what it is. You know, I'm sitting at the table and I, I hear Greg talking about South Hold Town. He paints it as it's, it's, it's some sort of draconian place to live. I, I've always cherished living here. I, I see the beauty in the town. I see the beauty in the people. And I want to work hard to try and foster that and bring it forward. Changes is constant. And it, it, you know, in business, in life, in governance, in people, in our lives, you know, and we just have to roll with it, be calm, be smart, and do its best. I do just want to say, for the record, that I've been here 15 years. I'm yet to get that political contribution royalties check from uh, Times Review Media Group. So I just, just want to make sure that I what make it clear conflicts? that we're all salaried employees who do not get any of that money. So thanks. Uh, thank, thanks for doing this, though. I appreciate yeah, thanks it. For yeah, thank, you. Thank, you. Thank, thank you. Thank you, gentlemen and lady.